This is Jessica Pate, your host for Brave Together podcast. I am here to serve, encourage, and inspire you in your journey as a special needs mom. This is your tribe. This is your community, your place to be reminded that you are not alone. Please follow along as I share stories, inspiration, and resources just for you. Hi friends, today I have a friend of mine from many years ago on the show today. Her name is Danelle Noonan and she is a licensed marriage and family therapist and is board certified in neurofeedback. We're continuing our talks about ADHD. Danelle is also a certified provider of cognitive behavioral therapy, specifically for treating insomnia. She has a passion for helping people live fully functional, purposeful lives. Danelle offers compassion for those who are struggling and is eager to offer help, support, and practical tools to establish a clear path to reclaiming mental and emotional health. Thank you, Danelle, for all that you're doing, and thank you for being a part of the show today. Thank you so much, Jessica. I'm super happy to be here with you guys. It's exciting. Really nice to see your sweet face. So I'm going to let you dive in just a little um, introduction about ADHD, and then I've got some questions. Okay, perfect. Well, I thought we would start with just kind of talking about what ADHD actually is. And a lot of people don't really understand that ADHD is actually a particular way that people's brains functions. And so I wanted to just kind of go into a short explanation of like what's different with people that have ADHD. So to do that, you kind of have to understand that our brains have specific brain patterns, brainwave patterns. And you can see this. This is largely what I do with neurofeedback. You can see which areas are functioning inside the normal ranges and which are outside of the normal ranges. And so that's a lot of what I do with, with my work. So with ADHD, what we almost almost always see is that there's too much slow brainwave activity in the frontal lobe. Now, the frontal lobe is where all of your executive function happens. So that includes decision-making. It includes impulse control, which is huge in ADHD. Um, it includes all of your emotional regulation, basically all the things that you want to cognitively be in control of happens in the frontal lobe. And so when you have too much slow brainwave activity in the frontal lobe, it creates a whole bunch of problems, which, I mean, we can name all of the symptoms of ADHD, but I think people are pretty familiar with those. But, you know, what's really happening is you're kind of just stuck in that daydream phase because what we're looking at is too much theta brainwave, which is a very slow brainwave. And it's associated with uh, memory and a lot of, and also daydreaming and creativity and that kind of thing. It's, it's when you're kind of more in your own little world, essentially. So obviously that's what's happening with kids and adults really that have ADHD is you kind of get stuck in your own little world. <laughs> so that's kind of the underlying, you know, fundamental issue that we have. And so then the question is, okay, well, great. What do we do about it? <laughs> right? Yes. So Obviously, like I said a minute ago, I know probably parents that have kids with ADHD could rattle off 150 different symptoms that they experience day to day. And so one of the biggest things that I tell parents is it is important, much more important, imperative actually, that you have consistency in schedule with kids that have ADHD. I mean, that's important for all kids, but particularly kids with ADHD, they are going to 
struggle to remember what comes next in the day and what am I supposed to be doing right now? And because they're just kind of all, you know, floating around in their own little world. And that's why school is really hard too, by the way. Um, so being really consistent with routines is probably fundamentally the most important and helpful thing that a parent can do to help their child. So that's thing number one. The second thing is set very clear expectations. I think this is probably one of the more difficult challenges that we face as parents in general, but particularly when we have kids that have um, ADHD. And I'm going to add to here, Jessica, ADD and ADHD are, are essentially the same dysfunction in terms of brainwave activity. It's just that one has the hyperactivity component and one doesn't. But Right. In in terms of diagnosis, it's all kind of under the umbrella of ADHD. So I say ADHD, but that also includes ADD. I just want to make note of that. So, um, but it is difficult as a parent when you're trying to essentially keep up with your child all day <laughs> uh, to to really be clear on what expectations are. But this is that goes back to that concept of um, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Mm. Meaning, if you spend even 15 minutes sitting down and coming up with a very clear outline of what expectations you have for your child and your family, you can literally prevent hours of frustration. You can prevent temper tantrums. You can prevent a lot of, or at least minimize some of that stuff. So it's really important. And and I always encourage parents, involve your children in this process, because if you can sit down and say, okay, you guys, we're going to make a list of three to five family rules right now that all of us are going to abide by. Well, if you get input and buy-in from your children, they are way more likely to to actually follow those rules. So that's why I say include them in it. It helps tremendously to do that. So I generally say write them out. I even encourage parents use kids' creativity, let them decorate it, put it on a poster board, make it fun, put stickers on it, whatever, and post it somewhere like on the refrigerator or on the wall. And that way, everybody's clear. These are the expectations. These are the things that we're going to require of you. And uh, making it specific is also important. So don't just say, be nice, because that's way too broad, right? (laughs) Way too broad. Yeah. So if you said something like, we do not hit or pinch or push someone else in our family, you know, whatever the the case may be, um, that's much more measurable. And it's obviously going to be more easily disciplined if it does happen. So the second part to that is you make a list of three to five rules, and then you make a list of about three consequences that follow each of those rules if they're broken. And obviously you want increasing severity, you know, depending on how many times they break the rule. But I encourage you to include your child in that process as well, because you will be amazed at some of the things that they would come up with that you would never even think of as a punishment. (laughs) So they tend to be very creative in that, which is good. So that's, that's two things that I really recommend proactively doing to help your child. Mm -hmm. Do you think that punishment is, is effective? I know in the world of PWS, which is totally different, mm-hmm. um, consequences don't have long, necessary long-term effects with Ryan. Um, but in, do you see punishment as, as a very effective means for deterring behavior and controlling behavior? 
Yes, if it's consistent. And like I said before, the rules are not constantly changing and they know what to expect in terms of this is why it's helpful to put it on paper because for two reasons. One, the child knows very clearly if I push or pinch or hit my sister, you know, then I'm going to have to go over there and look at that poster board. And I know the first consequence is whatever. I sit in timeout for five minutes or whatever the case may be. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but a, they know what they're, they're getting into by choosing that because it's very clearly outlined and B, this one might even be equally, if not more important, what you're eliminating by doing that is that cycle that you can get in of one time that they push their sister, you ignore it because you're exhausted. But the next time you take away their, you know, video games for two weeks, you know, and so like the severity of punishment is so varied that it's just a shot in the dark and it's worth it sometimes for them (laughs) because this might be the one time that they don't get a consistent punishment. And so, so yes, if it's done well and consistently, absolutely it's effective because it, it reinforces behavior. And you know, this is uh, any type of cognitive behavioral therapy reinforced behavior will, will continue one direction or the other. So, so, and what I'm hearing you say is that it is critical for parents to implement these plans and be consistent no matter what kind of backlash and protest you get from your child as you're implementing these rules and consequences that you have to stick with it. Absolutely. I mean, I know that in our life with Ryan in terms of behavior plans that we've had when we've tried to change behaviors and there was major protesting and we were about ready to throw the chart out the window. And then we started to see change because we stuck with it. Right. And I think that's a really important key, Jessica, is you are going to have resistance on the front end of this because kids would rather be able to push up against the boundary and blow right through it. In theory, right? We all know that really what they're really looking for is, is this really a boundary? And are you really going to uphold this? And so they're going to push against it until they recognize that it's futile. But it is our responsibility to make it a futile effort on their part. And we have to win these battles. But once you do, they may test it ever so often again. But like, really, kids are intelligent, you know, and, and they do understand with time that if you don't give in, it, it, they're not going to get their way. Right. So eventually, yes. Right. But but yes, it is on the front end. You you do have to gear up for uh, some pushback. <laughs> That's going to happen. Yes. Something you said earlier was that school is so hard for kids with ADHD. So I want to say why. I would love love for you to shed light. I mean, I have my own guesses, and I'm sure you know parents who are listening can can chime in. Um, One benefit of school is that high structure and consistency, but I know sitting at a desk is like claustrophobic for some kids with ADHD. They need Mm -hmm. different options, but go ahead and shed some light so that we just really understand it's not behavior problems. It's there are certain things and then we'll segue because we're in the middle of COVID and we're not in school. So I'd love to hear some, you know, other input, but what makes the school scenario so hard? Like there might be kids with ADHD who are thriving right now in COVID because there's a lot more freedom. Sure. Well, okay. Just by and large, the biggest issue with school is that it is geared toward the average student. That's what everything is geared toward, right? And so there's very little 
ability to remove structure in one area and implement structure in another area specifically for one child. Now, obviously with a lot of school systems, they have created different plans for specific children and that kind of thing, which is great if you can have that. But I think, you know, what makes it hard is it's not an individual system. It's, it's geared toward the norm. And I don't have a great answer for like how to fix that per se, because I have so much compassion, honestly, for teachers Right. in the, the sense that, you know, they are trying to manage a multitude of different personalities, a multitude of different needs, and it's a very difficult position for them. But, you know, you get one outlier and it creates havoc and chaos for the rest of the class. And so they're always trying to kind of squash that one outlier, if you will. And I know that sounds harsh, but you understand in the context of what I'm saying. That. Yes, I under- well, I've seen it. I've seen it. I know. And so they're doing that so that, you know, the majority of the class can still stay on board with what they're trying to teach. But if your child is that one, that one outlier um, that needs something specific and different, and they're not getting it, this is where you have, and this is why I say school is challenging, you know, they start to develop a sense of like, something's different about me, something's wrong with me, this teacher doesn't like me, or my teacher picks on me, or the other kids in my class don't like me because they get frustrated when I disrupt the class, you know, and so it starts to, they start to develop potentially some significant self-esteem issues that can continue and perpetuate as they get older. Yeah. I think about that all the time. I look back and I think about, you know, how judgy we were when our oldest was starting school and you see the one kid who's impulsive and hyper and bouncing around and all the moms are like, oh my gosh. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm like, clearly, clearly that kid had ADHD and we're all judging him or her based on behavior while we don't see the mom intervening or what have you. And right. I, developed this, you know, theory through the years in my own pop psychology head that there's this self-loathing that develops in kids Mm -hmm. who learn differently, right? who have ADHD, and they're just seen as a problem. Yep. And they just, they don't fit the mainstream. And I agree with you. I think anytime that you are one that does not fit the mainstream, it's difficult, right? On multiple levels. And that stigma can continue to follow you throughout, you know, from one grade to another. Teachers talk. They do. So you kind of already get set up potentially in the next year for another year of, you know, um, of difficulty. So it's a challenge for sure. What do you think needs to happen for the stigma around ADHD to change? Well, that's a great question. Um, And I do think there is a stigma for sure. Um, Unfortunately, you know, and I hate that there is, but there is. And there's, there's, you know, the first thing I would say is to recognize that ADHD is largely a genetic, it's inherited, it's a trait that's inherited. And so I think just like, you know, eye color is inherited, so is ADHD. And so recognizing that it's literally just something that kids have no control over and also parents don't have any control over um, is the first thing that it just, we need to lend more toward compassion and understanding and grace always. Right. And I love what you said a minute ago. You always have that like judgmental attitude with your first child. But then if you have another one, (laughs) (laughs) somehow things start to change. But, uh, but yeah, I think definitely just recognizing that nobody wants to be difficult. Right. I mean, there's just, that's not part of what anyone would want. The second thing I would say 
which is actually a really positive thing, is there's a very high correlation between high intelligence and ADHD. Yes. So there are potentially some, if you think about even some of the um, famous people that have ADHD, like Justin Timberlake, ADHD. I mean, like he's an incredible musician, incredibly talented on multiple levels. And so to recognize that if your child really does struggle with that, or if you as an adult struggle with that, there's a likelihood that there's also high intelligence there in addition to um, creativity and, you know, all kinds of other things. Um, and then lastly, I would say, you know, how to remove the stigma. Well, there's approximately one in 10 children are diagnosed with, it's a little bit less than 10, but uh, 9.4% of the population um, are diagnosed with ADHD. And so my goodness, it's prevalent you're not alone. If you have that, that's mm. multiple kids in any one given classroom setting typically will have some measure of ADHD. Wow. Wow. We just really need to increase our compassion on so many levels for so many different right. groups of people and children. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that anytime, you know, like I said earlier, that there's someone out of the norm, our natural tendency, and this is biologically built in, we want to be with like-minded and like kind of like people because it feels safe. But I think that mindset is really dangerous. And, you know, when it comes to the way that we treat other people, it can be very dangerous. So just having an awareness is probably by and large the biggest thing that helps us overcome that is just being aware that not everyone falls within this little cookie cutter, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, of normalcy that we've established. So Absolutely. So tell me about neurofeedback in treating ADHD. Neurofeedback is a spectacular way to treat ADHD because it is non-medication. So you're not giving kids a stimulant, which essentially I wanted to touch on this too. The reason that kids get a stimulant medication seems very counterintuitive when you have a child that's already all over the place and bouncing off the walls and you can't seem to settle them down. Why on earth would you give a stimulant? <laughs> Well, the reason is because if you go back to what I said earlier, the frontal lobe is operating too slowly. So what we're doing by giving a stimulant is basically speeding up the frontal lobe, which makes them able to behave and think in a normal fashion. So what neurofeedback does is it essentially trains your brain by use of um, constant feedback via a video to normalize over time by itself by training your brain with a different way of functioning. So mm. you basically sit your child down and they watch a video. And while they're watching it, the screen is responding in real time to what their brain is actually doing. So when their brain gets into a normal brainwave pattern, the screen will brighten up just like you're watching TV at home. But if they get outside of that, either above or below what's considered the norm, the screen will start to dim. And so their brain starts to try to figure out, how do I get that screen bright again? So the millisecond that it dips into the normal range, the screen brightens up. So it's literally operant conditioning, which is positive feedback for desired behavior. And the, the course of time, over the course of time, basically what happens is you retrain your brain and your brain starts to memorize how to function in a normal way. And it, the change is permanent. So that's the other thing that's spectacular. Really? Uh -huh. It's, it's a great, wow. it's a great treatment. And it's actually been, um, approved by the, uh, American Academy of Pediatrics as a first line treatment for ADHD. 
So it's very effective. So you would recommend like age five all the way to adulthood? Yep. Okay. They have normative databases for um, ages five and up. Okay. So anything okay. above the age of five, it's it's a great treatment for. So in the middle of this COVID season, at the time that this will air, I'm guessing it will be fall. We will in, be into the school year. Yep. And so different parents who are listening all over the country are going to be in different setups, right? whether it's complete distance learning or some parents have chosen to completely homeschool or a hybrid. And then some, of course, might be sending their kids back full time. It's going to vary greatly across the country. Mm-hmm. So um, for those who are either doing a hybrid or a complete distance learning, what would you, what are a few tips that you would say for working with your child at home who has ADHD? Yep. That's a great question. I would say, first of all, um, like I said at the beginning, make sure you have some routine established for the day. That's another thing that I always encourage people to write out and post somewhere so that the child knows this is what's coming next. It alleviates a lot of anxiety for children to know what's coming. Mm -hmm. And it also prevents them from getting lost in terms of like, what should I be doing right now? You know, so just helping them with routine is really, really important. The second thing I would say is I understand it is very easy to let your child just go play video games or be on their phone for hours at a time because they're not bothering you. But it is not good for them to do that. It is addictive for them because literally studies have shown that playing video games releases dopamine in the brain, similar to what someone on drugs would experience. And so it is, it's this repetition of reward that gets them involved and they literally will have an addiction to it. So I would say limiting the hours or the amount of time that they play to no more than an hour a day is ideal. Again, we don't live in an ideal world. So if you need to up that a little bit, you know, just for your own sanity's sake, that's okay. And I, speaking of our sanity, (laughs) that's a really important element too. I want to say we have to pay attention to our own mental health as well. That is so paramount for you to be able to take care of your children, whether they have ADHD or any other type of disorder, or even if they have nothing, um, you've got to make sure that you're paying attention to your own sense of um, fullness, if you will. And in other words, do things that fill your own soul. So I encourage people spend at least 10 minutes every morning before you get caught up in the busyness of your day doing something. And whatever that something is will be somewhat dependent on what you find most soul-filling. Some people feel like it's prayer and meditation. For some people, it's journaling. For some people, it's working out. But find the things for you that fill your soul. Because when you're trying to take care of a family or children, I mean, it's you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Yes. Thank you for saying that. You are, you're preaching to the choir. I am always, always talking about this, that you as the mom are the most important person in the family. You, you cannot allow yourself to get burnt out. That's absolutely true. And I always go back to the analogy of when you get on an airplane, you have to put your oxygen mask on first. I mean, if you pass out, right, <laughs> you're right. no good to anyone, right? So yeah. So limiting the amount of, of time your kids are on electronics is good. Making sure they get physical exercise to get rid of some of that excess energy is also super helpful. And then remembering that the brain is almost like a muscle. The more you practice and work it, the better, the stronger it's going to be. 
And the less, the less you work it, the weaker it gets. So, I mean, just making sure that you're encouraging mm. thinking activities and creative activities for your children is important too. So whether, you know, arts and crafts or reading is obviously really good. And I want to add this too, Jessica, we always have this thought that ADHD means they can't focus on anything. They're just all over the place all the time. But one of the benefits of ADHD is kids actually have an ability to hyper focus on things that are important are entertaining or interesting to them. So I I always say find something that they are interested in and let them just go at it and learn that thing, whatever that thing is, whether it's something about space or dinosaurs or, you know, even fashion or things like that, something that they're interested in, they can hyper-focus on. And it's amazing the things that they can learn. Oh, that's so great. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. It's, I don't think a lot of people know that. It's not something that is really talked about. Usually we're talking about how to get them to focus on the things that we want them to focus on, mm -hmm. but allowing them to find something that they find, you know, interesting is really helpful. And, and you can mm. really allow them to, to kind of, like I said, go nuts on a certain topic and they'll, they'll learn like a sponge. It's amazing. Um, and I forgot to ask you this earlier, but in your practice, do you treat mild, moderate, severe ADHD, all of it? Yes. Yep. Okay. There's, there's definitely a spectrum of intensity with it for sure. Um, I like to treat, like I said, the brain function with neurofeedback, but it is also super important to pay attention to the behavioral aspect of it. And this is where parents are imperative in terms of treating this because we determine the family system, right? The kids are not in charge of that. So our behaviors have a rippling effect in a positive or negative way. And so my encouragement is always for parents, keep your mind fixed and focused because they can't necessarily do that. But make sure that you're consistent, be positive, and remember that you have what it takes to raise the child that you've been given. Sometimes it's hard to believe that. And we have to just tell ourselves that until it sinks in. I know. In those hard, hard moments. But yes, we do. Yes, you have to remind yourself every day for sure. We do. We do. Well, thank you so much for today. This was great. You're welcome. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. This was really great to know. Thank you so much. I appreciate all the work that you're doing, like I said, and you. Um, I appreciate your passion for this population of kids, teens, adults that really need the support in so many ways. Mm -hmm. We'll definitely have to have you back. Thank you so much, Jessica. It was fun. So fun. All right. Bye, friend. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the show today with Danelle Noonan. What a topic that is so vast. And if you're out there listening and you have heard a great speaker that you would like to see on our podcast, please reach out. We welcome requests. We want to meet your needs and what you're looking for. So please feel free to reach out. Please subscribe to our podcast if you have not done that yet. Leave us a rating and a review. We really, really appreciate that. And share with other moms who are in the trenches of special needs motherhood who need some resources, inspiration, and to feel like they are not alone. Spread the word. If you have not yet joined our community of We Are Brave Together, please 
go to our website, wearebravetogether.com, and fill out the little pop-up form. You'll get our newsletters and announcements, and we would also love for you to be a part of our private Facebook group. If you're enjoying this podcast and you would like to donate to keep it going, again, we appreciate that. You can go to our website, wearebravetogether.com, under the donate page. Thanks, friends.